Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Film 89 podcast. My name is Sky and I'm the editor of Film89.co.uk and joining me for this sixth instalment of what we hope is becoming your favourite podcast is my fellow writer at Film 89, Mr Steve Amos. Thank you very much. It's really good to be back. It's been a good couple of um, episodes now. Yeah, it was episode two you were on last, um, the, the Three Billboards episode. And um, as much as you and I have tried to get back together to record uh, quite a different episode of late, our plans were sort of hampered by the really bad British weather we've had. We've been snowed out. We have, and given the fact that um, I live slightly closer to King's Landing and Steve lives a little bit closer to the wall, he, he got the brunt of the weather up there, didn't you? I did, yes. He did. And... A very special guest joining us after his uh, very last minute appearance on episode four of the podcast. We didn't want him back, but the fans have been crying out for him. He's a suave, erudite, sophisticated man about town. He loves his films, he knows his onions, and he's got a fantastic beard. <laughs> it's Mr. Jim Cottle. Evening all. So, gentlemen, the film we're going to be uh, talking about tonight... Well, just to give you all the rundown, our main review this week, we're not going to have anything of a news section, we're going to get straight into it because we've probably got quite a lot to say about both the film we're going to be talking about and the director so it's going to be pretty much a steven spielberg special the film obviously is ready player one which um, by the time you're listening to this should be um, on general release in the uk and us uh, myself steve and jim were lucky enough to see it, uh, it was a week ago tonight wasn't yeah, it yeah, yeah we saw a, an, an early advanced screening we're going to be spoiling the film completely we're going to be blowing the lid off it if, if you want to see our general consensus on the film uh steve wrote it, it's a spoiler free article but it pretty much you know gets across all you need to know about the film before you see it you know i think the the final score that steve gave the film is, is probably not going to be too different to what uh, both myself and jim are going to give when we um dive headlong into the film and then we're going to be talking about the, the great man himself mr steven spielberg and what are our, our, our five? I think we'll go with five. We're going to go with three. We're going to go with our, our five favourite Spielberg films. Then we're going to have some listen, listener questions to close things out. Then hopefully we're going to wrap it up. From director Steven Spielberg comes a world where you can do anything. You can climb Mount Everest with Batman and be anyone. Iron Giant. Lex Luthor. Shocking. Kong. This is amazing. I just figured it out. On March 29th, experience an adventure of a lifetime. <laughs> cool. Ready Player One, rated PG-13. Experience in an IMAX, March 29th. So guys, Ready Player One, based on a book by Ernest Klein. Is it a book that you've read, Jim? I know all my geekier mates, I think uh, Lewis Richards who listens, he was telling me to read it. James Devine, he was saying read it. I totally ignored them. <laughs> Sorry, boys. Didn't read it. And I've had plenty of time, and I didn't bother. Well, I'm, I'm probably, I am ashamed to say, my one big black spot when it comes to anything, really, is books. I, I just, my life is just slightly too chaotic to ever have time to read books. And I don't know to read. Uh, well, you know, it, it's just, I, I don't read books anywhere near as much as I should. Ready Player One is probably a, a book that would be right up my alley, but unfortunately, I just, there's no time in my chaotic life, and you know, until my, my kids grow up, and, you know, I, I've got a little bit more time to do stuff, then maybe I'll start reading again. But Steve, what about yourself? Um, no, I haven't read it either. Um, my neighbour, who is a huge audiobook fan, has mm. been telling me for ages to read it, and I haven't. Um, and I'm an audiobook fan as well, yeah, so I've got no excuses. Yeah, you've, I you've, to... yeah you've got into that um, a lot lately, haven't you? Audiobooks, have, yes, whereas yeah. myself, actually, I just spend far too much time listening to podcasts. And yeah, you know, maybe audiobooks would be 
you know, the way to sort out my, my lack of time. But then I'd have to obviously do that at the expense of podcasts, which I've done at the expense of listening to music. So it's, yeah, there's just not enough hours in the day. So guys, um, like I said, we, we saw Ready Player One a week ago today, wasn't it? I think, which is a good, I think, 12 days before the, the general UK release. So what were your expectations going in, Steve? Um, I have to say that I my expectations weren't that high. I don't know what it was. I saw the trailer. The mo- most of the trailer seems to come from the first half of the film mm-hmm. and from the first scene of the film. There's so much going on in there, and I, I, th- I think that we'll, we'll discuss it a bit further uh, going on, but one of the main faults I had with the film it, it shows up in the trailer. And right. that's, there's so much going on, so and so much CGI. There's, it's difficult to keep track of everything. And it's really, really overwhelming. I don't think that the trailer sold the film very well. And because of that, my expectations weren't ahead at all. Mm. If there are people who are listening to this now who, for some bizarre reason, either haven't seen the film and intend to, or don't intend to see the film at all, just to give a, a rundown of the synopsis. It's the year 2045, and the real world is a harsh place. The only time Wade Watts, played by Ty Sheridan, who is the um, main protagonist in the film, truly feels alive is when he escapes to the Oasis, an immersive virtual experience where most of humanity spends their days. In the Oasis, you can go anywhere, do anything, and be anyone, and the only limits are your own imagination. The Oasis was the brainchild of the eccentric James Halliday, played by Mark Rylance, who left his immense fortune and the total control of the Oasis, having died, to the winner of a three-part contest he designed to find a worthy heir. When Wade conquers the first challenge of the reality-bending treasure hunt, he and his friends, the High Five, are hurled into a fantastical universe of discovery and danger to save the Oasis. So basically, the Oasis is a giant online virtual reality experience where people pl- uh, plug themselves in via you know, a VR headset. You can also, if, you, you know, if you've got enough money, uh, buy a bodysuit that transmits experiences through to you physically. In the game, you can earn currency. And I say game, it's pretty much like a, a second existence in a way, isn't life, it? Isn't like it? a second life. Much like I felt for three or four months of my life back in 2013 when I was playing Grand Theft Auto V. I think if my, if, you know, if my wife had left with the children, as long as I'd had a, a fridge full of beer, a TV and a sofa, I think I would have been fine. Does she listen to the podcast? No. No, yeah, she does, but... Um, yeah, so the Oasis is just an incredibly sort of immersive VR experience, and our, our, our main character, Ty, Ty Sheridan's character of Parsifal, which is his in-game sort of avatar, and I think that's the main theme of the film, is who you are in the real world doesn't always reflect who you are in, in the Oasis. You can pick you know, your own identity, your own appearance, and you can just make yourself look completely different as one of the main characters does you know, from their real, actual appearance. So yeah, that, that's that's the, the the synopsis in a nutshell. Hopefully, if you're listening to this now, you've actually seen the film or are at least interested in seeing it. But like I say, I've got to warn you guys and girls, we are going to be spoiling things quite heavily. So sorry, Steve. Go on. You were, no, you were saying. In fact, what you were just saying there, I think that the trailer summed up the what is the Oasis perfectly, mm. but didn't. But the story was left behind in the trailer. Yeah. And I think that um, you know, it, it's Steven Spielberg, so you're obviously always going to be th- um, you know wanting to see it. You're always going to be intrigued by it. Mm. However, the trailer didn't sell it to me. So when I went into the cinema, I, my, I, I didn't know, where, you know what to really to expect. And I, I wasn't expecting a great deal. Jim, obviously you, you saw the, the film with uh, with Steve and I. We didn't have much time to chat about it, really. Usually we'd sit down, have a coffee, talk about, you know, oh, you know I wonder what this is going to be like. But it was sort of straight into the deep end. 
there was an issue with my 3D glasses because yeah, yeah glasses. I thought yeah don't, don't take your own 3D glasses from yeah don't, don't take a set of Odeon glasses to a, a showcase cinema because they're not compatible as I as I learned um, so yeah the last minute yeah once that was sorted uh, we sat down got into the film and what were your expectations going in Jim well I, I think a bit like Steve you you don't want Spielberg to fail do you so no. he's got such a fine body of work and you're sitting there going can he keep the level up. Mm. And I was worried that he they wouldn't. I'd seen the trailers. There was nothing in them that had, that had no. thrilled me. You know, visions of it being like the Wachowski brothers' Speed Racer, yeah. which was an absolute yeah, yeah. N- nightmare of a film. I think I watched 20 minutes of it before mm. he gave me diarrhea and I had to stop. So, yeah, I, my expectations were quite low. But, as you say, it's Steven Spielberg, and he always manages to do a bit of magic. Whatever the film, there's always something in it that he just takes it and elevates it. Yeah, um, it, that was the case in this. It was one of those things that even going to see the film was a bit of a last minute thing because it, it was Steve actually that got us, um, the, you know, the the advanced screening um, access to this film. So there was no sort of build up of expectations. I was expecting to see it weeks after I actually did. So I, I was sort of thrown in the deep end. I had seen the trailer several times. I, I was quite excited about you know seeing things like you know the DeLorean and, and knowing pretty much that this, as what I know about the book, is just going to be a film that is just stuffed to the gills full of pop culture references from film, music, TV, video games, everything from the last 30 to 40 years. In so much as that was my expectations of it, I thought, is, is there going to be enough of a film underneath so, you know, so it just doesn't get crushed by all of this glitter on top. And the answer to that was there was just enough to keep it afloat. But the bells and whistles, sort of nostalgia stuff that was thrown on top of it was just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I think going going into it, as it started, the CGI, I didn't think it was groundbreaking. I didn't no. think I was expecting it to be, you know, another Jurassic Park where it stepped the game up a bit. But I, and it didn't seem to do yeah, that. Yeah, and I agree. But I think all, you know, until it gets to the one. Point. But then they can get <laughs> they, they get away with that because they're not trying to recreate an art. Well, they are re- recreating an artificial reality, mm. but that artificial reality itself is effectively a video game. Yeah. One of the biggest comparisons I found throughout the film is it was like a more grown-up version of Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, well, that was what—that was one of the films that I kept yeah, thinking it, about. You know, I felt like when you were watching the scenes in in the um, you know the main sort of game hub in Wreck-It Ralph, and you're looking out for all of those other characters like yeah. you know, Sonic the Hedgehog, Mario, the the, the characters from Mortal Kombat and Kubert. This was exactly the same sort of thing, except it wasn't just video game related characters. It was characters from you know all walks of pop culture from like you know, like I say the last thirty to forty years. And at the very beginning, where you first go into the Oasis, I think we were comp- we were completely overwhelmed. We... I don't know. Um, no? My, my problem with it is that there we are. We're in the future. Mm-hmm. We've got the Oasis, which is this massive um, mm-hmm. computer simulation. You know, but the characters themselves, where it's Z or uh, Artemis, they look like characters we have now on ga- in games. Yeah. Yes, that is true. They should, affect, they, they should look... At that point in the future, especially the way that uh, video game technology and computer graphics are, are increasing now, they should look photorealistic. Absolutely, can they do it? But if now we, if technology carries on like it is, and we end up, you know, oh, that's the future. Yeah, but we, if we end up now at the point twenty odd years in the future, it is going to look real. But if we're watching from the perspective of now in two thousand and eighteen. It we need that constant reminder that we're actually watching a video true, game. True, so yeah. what we're watching has to trigger in our minds the thing of yeah obviously that's a video game 
and the only point of reference we've got now is current video game technology so what we're watching has to reflect the current technology of our times otherwise it's just going to look as if they're being put into different bodies as opposed to an artificial computer generated yeah. environment do you see what i'm getting yeah at? i see where you're going with it but i think from from my from my perspective when it started i was thinking am i going to sit here and watch two hours of like final fantasy cutscenes? that yeah. isn't going to make that isn't going to make yeah, a great yeah film. but the thing about if you're trying to bring a video game to the screen if you're watching it do you end up thinking i want to be playing this game i don't want to be i don't want to be sitting here just letting it happen to me hmm. i want to get into it yeah, so but I, I had all those issues running around in the first third, I would suggest. Yeah, but then also on top of that, you had the bits of, you know, within the first three minutes, we spotted Robocop. Oh yeah, well that's um, when you started punching me. Yeah, I sh- I'm, sure I, I'm sure I spot, spotted Judge Dredd. Obviously there was Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And one of the great things about Ready Player One is just, your eye is constantly scanning the screen. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, very very soon. You know, my yeah. uh, any reservations I had about those the um, the rendering of the faces, the rendering yeah. of the characters, that disappeared as soon as you were yeah. bombarded with all this eighties, well seventies, eighties, nineties references. Yeah, and even beyond, you know, the two thousands, and you, you were had, they represented. You you had characters from Halo. Halo. Was you there, had uh, Over, Overwatch. Yeah, um, uh, the girl from Overwatch. Yeah, she was there. Yeah, she was there. And that's yeah, that was, I think that yeah. was probably the the latest reference. That's not even a game I'm familiar with. Uh, I, I've sort of been out of the loop of gaming now for the last couple of years. Gears of War got a nod with the gun. Yeah, there were the weapons in Gears yeah. of War. But even going back to, you know, the, a key plot point towards the end of the film is is an Atari twenty six hundred, and, and basically that the, the fact that the last clue hinges on them playing um, adventure. One of, yeah, adventure which is an old Atari 2600 game there, there is a little bit of social commentary in the film in fact probably quite a bit they're commenting on basically at, at the moment in, in this time we, we are like a bunch of cyborgs we're all attached to iPads iPhones uh, you know we, we're sat in front of our Playstations and Xboxes for, for hours on end and even like Steve you've got children Jim you have I've got two young children and like you know, my two sons, they they spend more time than I'd like them to playing on their, you know, on their tablets, playing games. Whereas when our generation grew up, video games were a luxury. You know, the games we had access to in the house were quite basic at the uh, time. Binatone. Yeah, uh, binatone. Yeah, yeah. I had a binatone. Is that how you pronounce it? It's binatone, <laughs> but you know, after the way you pronounce Conan, Conan the Barbarian in episode four, I'll, I'll allow you to pronounce it whatever way you like, Jim. It's, it's, you know, that's great. We, we had to go to arcades to have you know a cutting edge sort of video game experience yeah. and even like arcade culture is something which young kids of today are just not going to know about yeah. like my children are not going to know the joys of going into an arcade and seeing the latest game that's come out yeah. like when in the days of when you know back in 1991 Street well when Street Fighter 2 came out and like revolutionised video games and everybody crowding around yeah you know your quarter or your ten pence piece and we've got an American audience gym I've got to cater for them as well you know placing your coin on on the cabinet and that was your sort of thing of right I'm next to play it's a complete culture, much like video rental store culture, which has now died and gone away. We are, we are, I think, more than most generations, a generation that are prone to nostalgia, unlike any other, because we've seen technological advances in entertainment and media. Maybe you know, maybe not as big a jump as you know the jump from silent films into talkies and the like, but we have seen a hell of a lot of change over the last forty years, haven't we? 
We have, and we've got the means to go back. Whereas, of course, That's in the right. 1930s, you know, they had sound, uh, but and they stopped showing silent films, so they didn't have the exactly. means to go back. And you, if you're, if you're sat in a cinema in 1955 and you're watching, you know, a cinemascope film in glorious Technicolor, then that for you at that point as a film lover is going to be the you know the constant motivated going forward, and probably at that point back in that time, you wouldn't have been looking back. Films from like the, the, the 30s and 40s with such reverie, like we do now, no. looking back at you know old video games. Like, you know, retro gaming culture is a huge thing, mm-hmm. massive thing. There's retro gaming magazines, there's countless websites. You know, I've, I, I've got a mini Super Nintendo console that's got you know all the old games I used to love playing as a kid, like you know, 21 games all on one little console. There's just so much out there that caters to retro culture. Even our own website, Film 89, is heavily influenced by the fact that we are creatures of nostalgia. Barry Norman. Yeah, and again, it's an homage back to um, a film programme that was extremely important to us film-loving Brits back when we were younger, the, the Barry Norman film series on BBC. So it's all linked back to nostalgia, and I think more than any other film I've ever seen, this film plays on that like nothing else. I, yeah, I agree with you, and I think that taking taking the Oasis out of it, you've still got the characters. Mark Rylance's character is brilliant. You've got the, the sort of world against the corporations that's yeah. relevant. Yeah, you know, I had two games of PUBG before I came over here today, so you, everyone's just coming home. What the hell is PUBG? Oh, it's the current video game of, of the moment. Wow, player unknown battlegrounds. Yeah, massive, so, absolutely yeah. massive. Again, it's like you but can coming from work. You have three rounds of that before I came out to do this. So, mm. Yeah, and you're fighting people online. Yeah, so it's very, very current. It is, it is. And you know, Steve, what do you think of the um, of the social commentary in the film? Was it quite overt to you on first viewing? Um, it was, although I think that you know, taking away all the um, nostalgia, all the references, all the Easter eggs. There's not much left to the film, so I don't think that there was nothing new in it in terms of you know social commentary. There was nothing new in terms of the story or the situation. I have to say that without that, it would have been. I don't think it would have worked so well. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I agree, Steve. I, I think that technically speaking, in that film, there was nothing we haven't seen before. That was the We've, point. We've seen it before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, yeah. Shoot me down. Perfect. Yeah. That is exactly right. But I mean, just from a technical point of view. Let's look back at films like Avatar, which love it or, or loathe it. Love it. Love it. That that Avatar is an incredible looking film. And I sorry, I just defy anyone to deny the fact if you were sat there in a huge cinema back in two thousand and nine watching that film in three D, your jaw would have been on the floor. Mine was. It is it was an incredible, you know, visual experience in the well, cinema. That's something it shares with uh, Ready Player One, because it's all about world building. Yeah. yeah, and the one thing that Ready Player One does brilliantly is build this world inside yeah. the Oasis. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the first worlds you see is Minecraft. When you go into yeah. the Oasis, there's like Minecraft world. And yeah, like, it's, it's yeah. right out there. It's it's basically like much like Racket Ralph. You can go with you know that you can go into these different video games in Ready Player One. You can go with the Minecraft world. There's a casino world. Mm-hmm. There's there's all sorts of you know endless worlds which. The corporations can either make themselves or um, modders, you know, pe- people who, you know, who can just make their own. It's just endless possibilities. And what do you think of the representation of the real world of 2045 in that film? There wasn't enough of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Yeah. My issue was that that world wasn't fleshed out enough. I wanted no. to know if, if people are spending that much time in this artificial environment. How is the world around them still functioning? How are people going about? You, you yeah, see people in work know. wearing their VR headsets and they're in their place of work. 
how drones, can they, robots, there's a lot of drone action in it. How can, like, yeah, there were a lot of drones, yeah. yeah. But how can they possibly be doing any sort of productive work if they're spending all the time in the Oasis? And I don't think that's something that it addressed. I'm sure it's in the book. But some of the time I was actually thinking, yeah, okay, it's amusing to see these people blindly sort of walking around with these masks on it, sort of in their own little world, really. Yeah. You, you know, see that on YouTube, no, with people looking at their phones and getting run over, walking exactly, into yeah. windows, walking into lampposts. Maybe, you know, I'm actually taking the film too seriously there, because maybe that is actually not commentating on the world that they presented to us then, the world of 2045, but they're probably commenting on our world now. And well, the way things are going. That's, that's what the point is. It's definitely going that way. So yeah, maybe I'm just looking at you know a little bit too seriously. And, and the fact is, it's more of a sort of like tongue-in-cheek social commentary. Mm. But when we talk about world building, I think that inside the Oasis, it's beautifully done, beautifully rendered. You really get an understanding of what it's like to live in that world, mm. for lack of a better world, word. But outside of the Oasis, I don't think that you get a good idea of what yeah. it is like to live well, in is everyone the hiding? Why is everyone hiding in the Oasis? Well, I mean, you get the stacks, which are, you know, obviously sort of trader trash type people. The traders are all stacked on top of each other. It, but, I, but you don't get the, why everyone is diving into this to this fake world. But I think it's because of the addiction thing, isn't it? And the fact yeah. that you can be anyone you want. Yeah. And it's also the thing, one, one of the things about video games that makes them so addictive is the levelling up of, the, of your character and the fact that you're making progress. Yeah. And I think in the Oasis, the way that's represented is the fact that you build up coins by becoming more proficient in, these, in these games. Yeah, When you've got your in-game currency, you can purchase things which are both in-game to yeah. modify your character. And you can also, if you get enough, you can actually get real-world things. Yeah. Like we see at one point... Wade, that you know the, the main character he actually gets enough coinage to purchase one of these special uh, sort of vr suits that makes you ex- physically experience things yeah it seems to suggest that there's a whole economy hmm. out there based on the oasis yeah. which we it's only hinted at in the film so in a way i suppose the oasis is a way of controlling society the fact that you've got all of these people living in poverty but they don't care because they're actually yeah. not Kings. living in their real world yeah. they're, they're living in the oasis i think you know again this is sort of social culture you're in a situation now with video games where you, you're paying money for virtual items so you can you, so you're paying for something that doesn't exist yeah. you know, real hard cash yeah, you, know, you you pay like you know skins for for a character yeah, forty five pound for your for your video game and then yeah. you or you're paying for extra downloadable content. Well, with PUBG's case in point, twenty quid I paid for it and I've not got anything. It sits yeah. in my Xbox. There you I'm go. Not physical. And they, obviously there was con- the the controversy last year with EA and Battlefront two and the yeah. fact that they'd released the game and then we were expecting you to pay extortionate amounts of money for mm. the rest of the game which I should have really delivered in that one disc yeah. so yeah you know I think it, yeah, we could probably sit here all night and pick apart the social comedy of the real world in the film and of what the actual Oasis represents to our society today but but <laughs> that is boring yeah no one wants to hear that we just want to gush about yeah. as many of the pop culture references as we can you, you may get the impression we weren't happy with this film not, that was all, nothing not further from the case no, I was I think for the most part just grinning gasping what was the laughing. first one was... The, the first one that got me was when we first go into the Oasis and, and Jim went it's Robocop uh, like as if I'd missed it uh, you know I'm sorry I did yeah well yeah he was, it was literally there was just so many yeah. Especially, you know yeah it's coming right that's in the first it's in the very beginning just after just as he walks in oh okay isn't it he comes yeah he, yeah, he was actually he wasn't in one of the action scenes yeah. he was actually just walking yeah. around in it yeah yeah it was just like well what else are they going to do and I think the film sort of drip feeds things to you you see the 
to get a basic introduction to the Oasis, and mm. the um, it was the Doom game, wasn't it? The, mm. the big shoot them up in there, and then you had the big racing game, which forms the, the part of part of the Easter for the hunt yeah the, 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 the hunt for the Easter eggs. The Mark Rylance's character, the one who created the Oasis, has put in place. I like you know that racing game. How many cool things were in that? You well, had the DeLorean. And, yeah, and they they're not even putting them in and just leaving you to find them in some cases because the characters actually make reference to the fact that Artemis, the the, the female character in the in the film, the, the sort of love interest, the Parseval, is actually riding Canada's bike I from Akira. Yeah. It's just like it's fucking Canada's bike but from Akira. It's all stuff the, you wanted to see again. Probably it's the cool, all stuff you wanted to is, see. Is is there a cooler motorbike in any film than that one? Yeah. we've got the T-Rex from Jurassic Park yeah. who's pretty much I think one of only a handful of actual references back to Spielberg's own things that I saw in the film am I right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. it was a T-Rex I don't know we, we it was, a yeah but I think we're supposed to come on Jim are you thinking of that of the big dinosaur film <laughs> franchise of late you know, you know it, it's going to be a reference back to Spielberg's own Jurassic Park so why do you think that he avoided references to his own films? I just think because he's going to come across as um, patting himself on the, on, on the back he does need to do that no, he he'll he'll have enough people making references to his own things. I mean, for God, you had in a Lego Batman film, you had the fact that you had Bruce the Shark in it. Mm. <laughs> you know, you've the, Spielberg doesn't need to be references in other people's things because, from his point of view, he wants to make references to the thing he loves. And unless he's a complete narcissist, he's going to be wanting to make reference to. Oh, I don't know. See, for example, the works of Stanley Kubrick, which we'll come back to, <laughs> which obviously was actually, that's yeah. where it kicked it up. Actually, thinking we'll about that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, thinking about it, this film is more about Spielberg by avoiding his films yeah. than it is, you know. I think we're actually seeing more of Spielberg himself than we are probably in any other film, because we're seeing the stuff that that he likes, the things that he loves. I'm not saying all of it, you know. I, I would imagine that Spielberg, obviously, being a quite a bit older than us and of, of another generation than yeah. us. But again, the fact that the main sort of bit of video game nostalgia the end of it is the Atari 2600 which yeah. I would imagine for Steven Spielberg mm. yeah. that's, that's going to be because that was pretty much the first big home mass produced, mass produced edge. video yeah. game console yeah. so from Spielberg's point of view I have no doubt that the 2600 would have been his game console of choice yeah. So that's why I think, you know, unless it's in the book, which obviously, you know, we don't know. We don't know because, sorry, guys and <laughs> Feel girls. Feel free to come and tell us. We, we haven't read the book, and, you know, but this is not called Book 89. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the Film 89 podcast. So, guys, sorry about that. You know, we, we're, we're, we're not going to go too much into the plot, but obviously, it's pretty much straightforward. They're going from, you know, point A to point B, trying to get these like keys, the which. Futuristic Goonies, they're looking for something. Yeah, it's, 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 it, kids. it is effectively a treasure hunt set in an artificial yeah. reality. But then at one point in the film, and we've got to get out of the way, and this is a huge spoiler alert. Yeah, massive. Please, if you haven't seen the film now and you intend on listening. doing so, stop listening to the, this part of the podcast now. Go into the time index and find out when this review finishes and we talk about the next bit, which will be the, our favourite Spielberg films, because we don't want to spoil this for you. Because at one point in the film, Ty Sheridan's character of Parseval is trying to go into the, the, the sort of background life history of Mark Rylance's yeah. character, James Halliday. Oh. Yeah, mm -hmm. James, Sorry, James, Donovan James Donovan Halliday, which is Steve. You found out? No, it wasn't me. It was oh, Tony, my friend oh, Tony. Yeah, your friend he Tony pointed out that um, in Bridge of Spies, yeah. Tom Hanks's character's name is James Donovan. Ah, there you go. Cool is that? Ah, so that, that, that is that that is everything's everything. Yeah, but that's an unintentional mistake yeah. because obviously they both based on different books. So yeah, true. Well, one is based on a real character. Yeah. Wow, that's so. That's a bit of serendipity there. So yeah, they. <laughs> we'll see, realistic. 
Yeah, but that's planned. Serendipity is like, good. Shut up, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking swallow addiction. Yeah. yeah so um, Parsifal is trying to to work out these clues, and he's looking into uh, the past of James Halliday. And for whatever reason, James Halliday took it upon himself to record all of the most important moments in his life, because I think by the late 2020s, there's CCTV everywhere. Yeah. CCTV with perfect audio. And, and he's like, recreated it then as yeah, well. Yeah, he's recreated he's, it in 3D. Yeah. Again, that's another sort of little bit of leap of logic. But but it's, all in, it's all in the Oasis. Though, yeah. At one point then, our, our heroes by now, which are a group of, I think, you know, five five characters. You've five got, you've got, um, you've got Parsifal, Artemis, and, and a few others. They end up going into one of Halliday's favourite films or a virtual reality version of his film. And it, it's at this point, which Steve, would you agree with Jim and I, the fact that this is without doubt the highlight of the film? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the question they had, they had to answer to get to this part was the creator that hates his creation. And Perfect. I have to yeah. say that when as soon as The Shining was passing... Yeah. That's it, yeah. yes. Yeah, that's it. Because as, as, as oh. Steve will tell you, tell you, go on, being a massive Stephen King fan. Yes, uh, Stephen King did not like the Stanley Kubrick version of The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a fool. And, and actually, I, no, I, I understand why. You know, yeah, because but, of the fact that he was... He felt that it was not as strict an adaptation of his book that he had wanted. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He's, he's worked for a year, year and a half on this book. It's his yeah. only his third novel, I think it was. And then he puts it out there and somebody just gets it apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And makes a perfectly fine film out of it. Yeah. But I can see why, you know, somebody's killed his darling, as they say. But we were literally... when I, I'm quite strange. When I enjoy a film, I'm not being British, I obviously can't stand up and applaud. So I tend to batter bells out of whoever's sitting next to me and yeah, at this I've, point I started to pummel Sky relentlessly for about five minutes we, well yeah. I just didn't breathe for a few moments it yeah. was yeah it, 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 how the hell did they do that it took my breath away it opens with a shot of them effectively going into the, the opening the shots of the film at the Overlook Hotel they've recreated the interior of the lobby of the hotel but not only that we end up going through the corridors with the famous patterned the carpet. hexagonal carpet yeah. we see the elevators with the blood and it basically turns the two into girls, the, two twin yeah, girls. the twin girls. It turns into a five minute, pretty much, and it, it maintains the horror tone yeah. of The Shining. Yeah, yeah. I with Addy comedy. Yeah, my seven year old son has been nagging me for months on end. Dad, I want to go and see Ready Player One. He's he's obsessed with video games. Yeah. As soon as he saw the trailer, there were two films this year that he was dying to see. Black Panther was the one. Ready Player One was the other, and he has not shut up about Ready Player One since. I don't think, based on this scene. That I'd be happy to take him to see it. They turn up the comedy factor of it because we know what's coming, right? Which is which is great yeah. because we know what's coming and, well, we, and we can't believe it, but we we know where they go yeah, and we let, know no, what they're doing. Let's bear in mind, but your child isn't no. going to know what's coming. And I think there's going to be a large portion of the audience who've gone to see this film for all the video game and film references who may not have seen The Shining, and I, I pity them because the fact that the references will probably be lost on them. Not everyone has seen The Shining. The girl in the bath was she naked? I can't remember. I was, there, my she jaw was, was still on the floor. I think my was, she was obscured by yeah. It was, it was the, it was some clever you know shots. Yeah. There was nothing blurred, but but look the spit of her. Oh yeah, and when Absolute she you know, spit of her. What's the name of the character? It's Lena Waite's uh, character, who's like a H. big H. H yeah, H is is sort of been hugging, bumbling around. Yeah, bumbling around. Yeah, yeah. and and then because he's the one actually that takes us through that that, that sort scene. of nightmare. Yeah. Scene. And then when obviously she turns into the zombie version of the girl. Yeah. You know, the, the sort of rotten old woman, which from the, the famous room 237 scene in The Shining, yeah. I just thought, oh my God, this is one of the most clever, 
ballsy. I mean, Spielberg worked with him, didn't he? Spielberg worked oh, yeah. with Kubrick. Yeah, yeah. Spielberg did one of his. He, he ended, ended up finishing AI. 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 Yes, yeah. Yeah. Kubrick died, I think, in '99 when Eyes Wide Shut came out, and then Spielberg took over AI. and finished off AI. Cooking. So he's got a link. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, there's, there's a link. Absolutely amazing. It was spot on. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure about you guys, but. Every step of the way, as they went into, you've seen the door two thirty-seven. Yeah. Don't go into there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you yeah. see the woman in the bath, stay away from yeah. the bath. But what did I say to you before we even saw it? I was like, Jim, they're gonna go to room two thirty-seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay away from uh, the elevator shaft. But, but from that point on, then I was just wearing a massive, massive grin through the whole thing. Yeah, it but, kept throwing stuff at us, but. I was Spielberg then. It was it was done. The the yeah. film peaked for me more than any other film has in, in the last couple of years. I, I think the last time I actually was that excited in a film was probably you know a year and a half ago in Rogue One with that battle at the end where they've yeah. got the gold leader and red leader from yeah. the original yeah. and they've reintegrated them into the film. Clever. That I was just like a, a kid in a candy shop. And this film, this scene with just The Shining is one of my favorite films. I'm paying such perfect homage to it. But at the same time, being damn funny. Yeah, we, we were. You know, very, very it, it is very funny. Well, it used our expectations yeah, and yeah. our foreknowledge, yeah. which of course H didn't have, yeah. and just you know just played with it wonderfully. Is it interesting you mentioned Rogue One? That was also something that was missing from the entire thing. There, there was a reference um, to the Millennium Falcon. There was a reference to the Millennium Falcon. At one point, you actually hear the sound of Tie Fighters, but I. Can't remember seeing them, but that's not to say they weren't in it. It was actually the Tie Fighter sound. Parseval was wearing a suspiciously hand solo like belt and holster. I'll give you yeah. that. But it had a Thundercats logo on the front. Yes, it did. Um, did it? Yeah. But I think you know Star <laughs> Wars. Sad, oh, yeah. Star Wars is one of those things that's referenced so much. I actually like the fact that we, it's not full of Star Wars references, especially oh, now that we that we're getting two come Star on. Wars films a year. We don't but, need any more Star Wars references. Playing with Star Wars toys. But we've that had that. But again, we've, yeah, had we've had that. We've had an ET. We've we've had Elliot playing with Star Wars figures. Right. We've had we've had ET dressed as Yoda. We with even the yeah. Yoda theme tune. But that, in, in, in the ET. last the last battle was crying out for attacks. Yes, Jim, I fully agree. <laughs> and I, that would have worked. Very that would have worked extremely yeah, well. I think at one point I actually said, "Wouldn't it be great now if we had attacks? Yeah. We've got a snowy environment. They're crying out for it." Yeah. Uh, granted what we had instead we had Mecha Godzilla and yeah, Mobile Suit Gundam that was amazing Gundam okay, awesome yeah right Steve right you're the Godzilla expert the resident film <laughs> Godzilla <laughs> expert the visual representation of Mecha Godzilla seen in that film is not the one I'm familiar with am I missing out on something is there another version of Mecha Godzilla that I'm not familiar with uh, no you're right when I saw him I, right. I knew exactly what he was yeah but he didn't quite look mm. like I expected yeah, was the uh, one why. with all the metal scales on the back? I don't know, oh, and, and don't know. I'm well, sure, like I'm sure people out, yeah, listeners out there, if you want to answer this one, the version that we see in the film is that based on another version of Mecha Godzilla that we're unfamiliar with. But that, you know, that's just a little aside. The fact is, it was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, it was certainly yeah. pretty cool to see a massive battle scene with ugh, more characters from Every, different uh, video games. Battletoads. Battletoads. Let's spend the next. Let's give ourselves, you know, two three minutes. Let's try and name as many references as we can. Starting off, maybe characters. Go around the table. Go on. Well, I was going to go with again. Lawgiver. Yeah. Dreads Lawgiver for Stone version. The the best weapon reference in it, the glaive from Krull. Ah, that was epic. Incredible. Steve, you? No, I'm not a weapons expert. The the five pronged blade thing from Krull. 
got you know I'm not really familiar with Frog. Frog. Oh, exactly. oh, Alien on. Pulse Rifle. The Pulse yes. Rifle. That was in there. That that was was in there. there. Yeah. And something I mentioned in the review, which I'm not sure if anyone noticed, the, the mention for Jack Slater. Now, how many people remember what? Jack Slater? Jack Slater from Last Action Hero? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Didn't get that. I didn't get that yeah, reference. Get but that. again, that's the beauty of this film. Turtles. There were Turtles. Batman. Batman. Yeah, but the several Batman. You so, had the, yeah. the old sixties Batmobile. You yeah. had at the very beginning the the, in, yeah. when you have the voiceover where uh, Ty Sheridan's character is explaining all the different things you can do in the Oasis. One of them is you can climb Mount Everest with, with Batman. Batman. Yeah, oh, I mean, come yeah. on. And another this one, film was made for us. I, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, yeah. and to have Stand on it, which I have to admit, I didn't know what, where it was from. Yeah. I, I, I knew it was never from any of his albums, yeah. so I had to look it up, and it's from the soundtrack for Ruthless People. Uh, wow, yeah, Ruthless People, the Richard Dreyfuss, Beck Midler, Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, but yeah, wow. there's just tons and tons of it. Uh, Chunli, Blanca, yeah. Rio, to Halo, uh, said you had. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw several Mortal Kombat characters in it. Freddy Krueger, Jason. Oh, Steve. What the Scorpion? Mortal Kombat. With the Scorpion, Goro. 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 It's a Chucky. Chucky. Yeah. Yeah. Chucky gets well. Yeah. Chucky's in it. And another thing that was in abundance was spaceships, vehicles. You had Firefly. Firefly, yeah, that was a, that was a big yes, yes, the big turn up at the Battle of the End. Uh, uh, obviously, you've got the DeLorean, which is you know the, that's probably the biggest you. one, and we've said about uh, the bike from Akira. Yeah. Uh, Christine is apparently in it, although he's yeah, apparently Christine is. There's the eighteen van. Yeah, the eighteen van is in it. Yeah. Oh come on, guys! We've got obviously we've got Robocop. I was Chucky, looking at guns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the thing there's, there's so many so much the time you pick there up was uh, posters you, you said about the Goldie Wilson poster Goldie Wilson, the, yes. the vote Mayor Goldie yeah. Wilson one from Back to the Future you had there was a Indiana Jones poster yeah. there was an indie poster which you know that's just a little thing but there were references everywhere and I think you know, Marvel didn't get much of a shout did it? did it? it didn't I don't recall seeing any Marvel characters no. but then that wouldn't surprise me because there were no Disney characters, uh, there were none, none that I could think of. Which no, no Mickey, no, they were Muppets. No, I don't it's recall. Probably a rights issue, though. I would imagine. They would have so, had yeah. to apply for each uh, for the rights. No, no Jack Nicholson. No, I know, but that you know that's going to be. <laughs> I think you know recreating the, the CGI, you know, a Jack Nicholson or a Shelley Duvall uh, or you know Danny the little kid. I think that's going to be. Well, they got the, the two girls right, and they got the. Well, they you know they got them close enough, uh, but we only see those girls fleetingly in in The Shining, so I don't think it's going to be particularly difficult to recreate them. Uh, Would have liked to have seen Scatman Crawlers. Would have liked to have seen Floyd behind the bar. Yeah, but you yeah. know this is always. You know, <laughs> I never expected to see the the recreation of the Overlook Hotel. Uh, it was good enough. Uh, and we had the manuscript. All work, no play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, with yeah, 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 which actually formed one of the one of the keys, didn't yes. it, yeah. for the, the actual clue of that part of the, of the little puzzle. Yeah. So from then on, we were off to the races with this. We, we were, we yeah. were. <laughs> and I, but I do think towards the end, my interest did wane just a little bit. Bearing in mind it was peaking, so it was coming down from a peak. Then you had the magic, magic words from Excalibur. Again, I, yeah, a, re- a reference which I didn't pick up I was on. Up there. there was a poster for Excalibur. Yeah, point there was, to you. Yeah. So yeah, this, this film is just full of wonder- things you wanted to see again. Wonderful, like <laughs> pop culture references. These little Easter eggs. These these little nuggets of, of sort of hey, remember this from this film? Hey, look, it's the weapon from Crawl. You know, an, an obscure. That's you know, about finish me off. Yeah, uh, you know, an obscure eighties pulpy or fantasy film which. 
Which I will watch again soon. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, either way, it was a joy to see from that point of view. Yes. And as much as there isn't much great about the film from a, the narrative point of view, there's nothing new. Like you say, it, in a way, it was like an adventure film, like yeah. Goonies, where your protagonist has got a degree of agency because they are propelled to go from point A to B to C, and yeah. it is it's perfectly plotted in like a, a video game. Yeah. As in, it's just very straightforward. But then you had these little nuggets thrown in as curveballs just to sort of keep your attention. What were the performances, guys? What did you think of uh, Ty Sheridan in the main role? I think he was perfectly serviceable. There was nothing, you know, he's not a, a, um, a brilliant actor, he's not a brilliant performance, but he did exactly what he was needed at the yeah, time. Yeah, uh, there's, no, um, there's, nothing, there's nothing major there. If you think about the, the, the sort of ensemble cast of kids that Spielberg's had, E.T., yeah. Goonies, you know, it's not on that. It's not in that league. But then again, there wasn't much opportunity for no, that in it. No. And what you got to remember is that these um, people are not only actors, but they're also voice actors as yeah. well. And, and like I, especially H, and I thought H was excellent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. yeah. But then she had the the funniest script. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, because we've seen she. Yeah. But throughout, we don't. You we think don't, he's bold? Yeah. I really Spoiler. liked. TJ Miller as IROC, the bad guy. Yeah. Because he just had he had an appearance of like some sort of, you know, a typical video game overlord. Badass. But he was a very snarky sort of geeky, geeky self referential yeah. character. Mm. And I think a lot of whatever the real world version of him was came through with his character. Yeah. Ben Mel Mendelssohn as um the, the leader of or sorry, the, the head of the corporation IOI, which Brilliant. are you know, the ones which are trying to take control of the Oasis. He was, you know, very good. Is he Australian? He is Australian. Yeah, he is, yeah. They're taking over the British bad guy role then, because he yeah. seems to be nailing it at the moment. He's a great actor. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. he's, he's really that, good. He's in his element in that role, yeah. I think. He, he plays that yeah. perfectly. You know, I did like Olivia Cook as Artemis. She's, yeah. uh, she's a, a British actress. They didn't, didn't shine. The, the youngsters, yeah, they, you know, they certainly didn't stand out. Yeah. Um, but I think they did their job. It's Take, easy to get overwhelmed because there's so much going on around them. Yeah. And, but I think that they, you know, heads, they, um, held their heads over water. Over yeah. water yeah. And I think whatever you say about, whatever you think about Ready Player One, if you want to pick apart the narrative, you want to pick apart some of the performances, and then ultimately say that without all the gloss and pop culture reverie which is heaped upon the film, taking that away, then the film, there isn't much left that's worthy. But the fact is, you can't take it away. It's you all can. there. Yeah. It's, well, it's part and about, parcel of yeah. the film, it, more than anything. I mean, my, my sort of takeaway at the end was, you know, he's made Shinder's List for uh, his people, he's made Saving Private Ryan for his country, and he's made this probably for me. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's made it, he's made yeah. it for us. This is, this is a love letter to a generation of film lovers like ourselves. Who have gone to all his films. Who have, yeah, grown up and held his films in the highest regard. He's had a massive impact on me personally. Steve, tonight you're wearing a Jaws t-shirt. Yes. You know, I don't think an episode of this podcast will ever go by where we don't make reference to Jaws oh. or to his films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, one day as one of the, the topics we're, we're going to pick our favourite directors I would imagine that he's going to be featuring extremely highly mm. you know there's, yeah. there's no getting away from it he is a massive part of, of the pop culture sort of zeitgeist and, and he's something that we've grown up with and because of our ages he's a massive part of our lives I, I really do think the Ready Player One is a film that is going to appeal to a specific demographic much like Train Spotting 2 was last year now, Steve, yeah. you said, I think you said to me that you weren't into the sort of the club culture thing no, back then. Not. So I think a lot of that film was wasted on you, which I f perfectly understand. Much like um, you know, the original isn't a film that's going to be to everyone's liking. But Jim, I think you and I agreed 
that from our perspective that was as perfect a sequel as yeah. we could have asked yeah yeah, yeah. I, I was i just loved it i loved the blade runner ending for train spotted 2 i thought it was fantastic they yeah running around in the building building really yeah liked, it, with it, an unstoppable maniac behind you yeah i think that was a, a great idea of of using nostalgia to, yeah. to good effect something that this film does more than it does anything else really Bring any anything else that we've not spoken about i'm sure there's going to be something we haven't mentioned the iron giant everyone, yeah. everyone knows he's in it he yeah. is it's pretty, pretty cool pretty to cool. see him in action. Though, pretty cool. Massive fan of the Iron Giant Brad Bird's. Uh, it's, it's one of my favourite animated films. Steve, you've written a spoiler-free review for Film 89, and you gave that you gave it 7 out of 10, yeah? yeah? Has best. your score changed from that? No, 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 I don't think it will. No, because even though, you know, when we watch it a few more times, we'll get more out of it, and we perhaps might get less out of it, but I think 7 sums it up to... And I, I think Jim when we came out afterwards I said to you that and I know it's difficult to score a film straight away but mm. at a push I, I'd happily say that from an enjoyment point of view it was a 7 out of 10 from a nostalgia point of view oh, and the fact yeah. that they press buttons it goes all the way up to 11 uh, yeah literally there you go yeah goes goes all the way up to 11 but yeah I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 yeah well yeah I'd say I'd sort of go split the back a bit and I'd say that if you haven't got the knowledge that it's a 6 uh, but you, you have but if you have got the knowledge I'd give it an 8 I'd love that you're giving it an 8, I, I, Oof, I, I, an eight. I've, I've changed my mind now. So I, when I came out of there I said oh, I was like do I want to see this again and I'm like yeah I really do I really want yeah. to see it again same you know, IMAX the full, full hit true we didn't yeah. see we saw it in 3D I thought yeah. the 3D was, was subtle it never distracted no. at all yeah. I, 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 I max it yeah. up 3D I, I think 3D I'm IMAX again and um, yeah. just to see what I missed exactly yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're giving it an eight, Jim. Yeah, if you if you're listening to this, then you're probably gonna love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's two sevens from uh, Steve and I, an eight from Jim. So that's averaging out seven out of ten. Nice, well done. Okay, keeping on topic, the the director of the film that we've reviewed this week, we're now going to discuss our favourite Steven Spielberg films. Oh we're going to go from five up to one, and these are not the films that we are saying are the best. We're saying they're our favourites. So, guys, he's got a massive body of work. Uh, you know, he's he's been making feature films since 1971 with his TV movie, which later got a theatrical release in Europe deal right up until his most recent film which we've just spoken about Steve I'll go with you what's your number five but number five I'm going to put Lincoln okay mm. a film which I don't think many people not a lot of people have seen I think from talking to yeah. people it's certainly not one that um, when people think Steven Spielberg oh Lincoln mm. but it's just a film it's so well done he's tried well, he, he's tried historical dramas numerous occasions mm -hmm. sometimes it's worked like Schindler's List and sometimes it hasn't quite like for example Amistad which I think is still a good film but it's not you know yeah. as solid yeah. as you would expect from him but I think that he captures the time he captures the place he captures the language he captures the interiors are perfect it's dark it's smoky yeah. he, he ca um, captures it, it mm -hmm. is a, a film about 
we were talking about you know the the social uh, aspects of Ready Player One. That the whole point of Lincoln is about fleeing um, the slaves and mm-hmm. the law. Uh, um, but I think it's it's wonderfully done. And Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, we don't have to say anything about him, do we? Yeah, it's it's always a trilogy, isn't it, with um, Amistad and Color Purple. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole sort of experience, isn't it? Um, you link them in together. But it's not, I I must admit, I started watching it and I failed. <sighs> Wow, okay. This isn't something I've got a habit of doing. It was about, um, it would have been probably 2013. I didn't go and see Lincoln in the cinema. You know, my eldest son was very little then back then, so it, it was back, you know, one of those times in life where I wasn't going to the cinema that frequently. Me and the wife, we actually had it from Love Film, so we were sent the, the DVD or the Blu ray. Yeah. Uh, we put it in, and if memory serves, it was one of those nights where we were just too tired to sit down and watch a two and a half hour biography about an American president. As much <laughs> as it was with Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, and you know, he's, we put it on for 20 minutes. Yeah. We both looked at each other and we were just like, I'm not saying this is in any way a reflection of the film. This is just how we were feeling at the time. We were like, oh God, this is boring. Should we turn it off? <laughs> and I think we started watching an episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> so I apologize. I have to go back to it. Effectively, as much as I've seen 20 minutes of Lincoln I consider that I haven't seen it so that's yeah, a well, I, think I, lasted, yet. I think I lasted more than 20 minutes but I didn't I didn't complete interesting well the ending of it is brilliant yeah. and it's uh, you know really really rousing and yes we've addressed so we're, we're going to go circular just to keep it easy now okay. and if, if if the film I pick next is one of yours then we'll just we'll just lump it all and we'll talk about it right. my number five yeah. and again this is a, this is a very difficult list to pick I'm going for Jurassic Park Ooh, I put That's that. my I'm number right. four. So your number, we'll cover your number four and my number five. Yeah, I haven't put it in. Right, Jurassic Park, 1993. It was um, a, a film that I, I I remember vividly. I, I read Michael Crichton's book. The the, the build-up to that film with the teaser poster with the, the Jurassic Park logo. Those first shots of, of the T-Rex, which were teased in the trailer, you didn't it, it didn't give much away at all. It was a perfect example of how to do a movie trailer without giving everything away which is what the studio seemed to be doing far too much lately and then the final film was just it was magical that, that, that first scene where you see the brachiosaur again hairs are going on the back of my neck welcome to Jurassic Park oh god oh, when he says that yeah, yeah, yeah. you really feel and it don't you John Williams score John Williams score is, 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 is some of his best work it was the, the scene where uh, or the, the shot where Sam Neill is just fumbling trying to taking his glasses off he's seeing he was a, he's a, a, a paleontologist and he's seeing the creatures that he's studied all his life and been obsessed with in the flesh, so to speak. It's an amazing film. Aside from the cutting edge special effects, it's just how completely awe-inspiring the film is. And one of the greatest moments of it is not a special effect, it's a cup of water. The cup of water. Now that's that's something which Spielberg always does. He, he, He does... When, when he does less is more, which he was forced to do with Bruce the Shark not working in Jaws, so yeah. he had to belay showing that shark for as long as possible and to actually give us additional moments of tension that he possibly wouldn't have yeah. if the shark had, had worked. By the time he came out of Jurassic Park, there were no such technological hiccups, even though a lot of it was cutting edge, but that, that moment with the kids in the car and the thumping of the T-Rex's foot, quite why the T-Rex all of a sudden is walking so slowly I don't know mm-hmm. because we never see him walk that slowly <laughs> he always walks much faster uh, but I'm sure he's like he's, oh, he's sneaking up on him uh, either way Jurassic Park just what, what a film in- incredible all time classic Jim what's your number five number five I've literally listed got into that I've listed all his films and I've looked at them and I, it's impossible to choose so I've gone for the ones that I've watched the most Mm. And it comes down to 
I'm amazed how little I've watched E.T. as an adult. <gasps> right? So, God. that didn't make the cut. Jurassic Park, I've not watched those. But, number five, I'm going to put in Empire of the Sun. Empire of the oh, Sun. Empire excellent. of the Sun. Um, wow. Fantastic film. And whenever it's on, I'm watching it, uh, which is something I do with almost all Spielberg films, really. Great, great cast. Amazing story. True story. Absolutely nails it. He's picked out you know, Christian Bale. Yeah, you see the cast of, and, as, and a performance young, by Christian Bale. Young boy, yeah. John Malkovich is in it. Um, Was, wasn't Bale like 10 years old yeah. when he yeah. made that film? Nigel Havers is in it. Yeah. Um, who's, you know, great in that. Leslie Phillips is in it. He's, he's pulled in some great, great people. The shots of, the, is it the B-52s coming in? Yeah. And the Mustangs coming in? Yeah. And it's a lovely precursor to sort of where he's going. Yeah, where Spielberg yeah. is going. Fantastic film. Up to this point, yeah. you've been doing your popcorn movies, doing them brilliantly, and then with Colour Purple and then Empire of the Sun, there's a change in tone. And, and we talk about the, the soundtrack of um, Jurassic Park. Yeah. Well, I think that Empire of the Sun is really underrated, but it's yeah. a beautiful soundtrack. Yeah. And it's got that beautiful moment. Uh, Christian Bale just standing on the hill yeah. singing a Welsh oh. hymn, yeah. Sea Ogan. Beautiful. Oh. Uh, Sp- Spielberg didn't know what he was. Yeah, he's from our neck of the woods. Uh, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, 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 a, he's a Welshman. <laughs> yeah, he's a Welshman. <laughs> but yeah, fa- fantastically done, fantastically shot, amazing bits and pieces in it. Great cast, which Spielberg is, you know, always going to put it together. That's my number five. The, the only reason it wasn't in consideration on my list is because I've literally only seen it once or twice. Yeah, I saw it once when I was very young. I think pretty much it was lost on me. Um, I saw it again. It was when I was going through a, a phase of just watching war films constantly. Yeah. And it was one of the ones I watched, uh, I think, one night when I was half drunk. I remember just enjoying it. I've had the DVD in my to-watch list for since I was back buying DVDs. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's all Blu-ray. Uh, yeah, it. I really need to rewatch it. Yes. Well, do. yeah, my, my friend Tony Sowa, who actually we went to see yeah. um, Ready, um, Ready Player One with, he's a huge fan of this, and he was the one who led me the yeah. soundtrack. And it's, Goodbye. Yeah. So Steve, we're back to you. You've my number four was Jurassic Park. So, oh, we'll, we'll go to me for my number four now, and I'm sure this is going to be on Jim's list. Saving Private Ryan. It is on the list. Is it your number one? It is my number one. Oh, <laughs> should, should we wait until number one? No, no, let's just yeah. it out. Okay, um, Saving Private Ryan. Because one of the, the the most unforgettable cinema experiences I've had was back in 1998 when I went to see. Saving Private Ryan, and that it's not the opening scene, as many people keep you know, mistakenly getting wrong. It, it, the opening scene is actually yeah, uh, an old man, an old man at a graveyard, yeah. which you could argue that's a prologue. But and then the main opening scene is that twenty-five-minute-long Omaha Beach scene, which I think remains is sort of the pinnacle, the textbook way of how to depict gut-wrenching, nasty, visceral sort of truth of what warfare is. It something random as well. Something yeah. which I really, which to much to my annoyance, Christopher Nolan completely skipped over yeah. in Dunkirk last yeah. year. Mm. It's like as if it was Dunkirk was a watered down version of what warfare is. Yes, he was very tense. Yes, he did his best to build up tension throughout the film. He did not tick the box of this is how horrific and messed up so, war is. I think for me Certainly not for me anyway. Whereas Saving Private Ryan has done it as good as anything has. The only thing I think that comes close to Saving <laughs> Private Ryan I would say his band of brothers, which is probably same, same, yeah, same time, same it's the same, same, it's the same thing. Yeah, but for me, I was working in cinemas at the time, and I got the opportunity to see this mm. about twelve weeks before it came out. Wow! And nobody had heard anything about it. 
I was yeah. waking up in my office and the projectionist rang up and said, we've got Spielberg's new one in, do you want to have a look at it? We're doing it, we're testing the sound or something on it. So okay. yeah, oh, that's yeah. no problem. I'll be down now. There's a guy from, I think it was Fox, is in there with us. And he said, just to let you know, the opening of this film is hard. I was like, it can't be that bad. And I was literally ducking around the seats and the bullets come whizzing by your head. It's amazing. I then had to show it to people and we had loads of veterans come in. Oh, wow. See it. Oh, my God. Um, and we did, a, we did a screening just for them. It cost me a fortune in brandy because they were coming out and going, that's how it was. And I was there you go. And, a brandy with them. and you know, if so you that's ha. why it makes my number one. Yeah, no, uh, you know, everything is on song. Yeah, you know, and if you've got veterans having that sort of reaction, reaction to, to the film, that's something I was actually actively thinking about watching Dunkirk. The fact that when you're showing the horrors of the Omaha Beach massacre, which mm. is what, uh, not sorry, not Omaha, the, the Dunkirk Beach massacre, where mm. four hundred thousand British and French men were, you know, under fire yeah. from from the Luftwaffe. To show it as a bloodless slaughter does a disservice to the men actually lost their lives. There wasn't that much slaughter in it in the, the actual film. Well, no, that, that's my point, though. Yeah. Because they were going for that PG-13 approach yeah. where it was saving Private Ryan, didn't pull his punches. It was the most gut-wrenching film I'd seen in the cinema. I, I remember going home the first night I'd seen it. I had trouble sleeping. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I did have trouble sleeping. It, it shook me to the core. But one of the most... Uh, there's one scene that people don't talk about very often which I think is when you first see it it's easy to overlook it but there's one moment in there when they go in through the dog tags and they start laughing and they're joking because they are completely it's almost yeah yeah Yeah. exactly exactly Mm. Um, but then you see the others coming past and seeing it you know these are my friends these are my Mm. uh, colleagues these are the ones who've gone and that moment is so powerful yeah it's easy to overlook in the begin- when you first see the film because mm. the beginning is so overwhelming but I, I think that scene is one of the best that Spielberg has done in- yeah it, it is it's, it's an incredible film and you've got in Tom Hanks what Spielberg does in almost all well, loads of his films you've got this every man mm. he's, he's you don't know what he is that's part of the part of the story there were all his Tiva uh, what is he what is he he's just a school teacher Yes, he uh, is. Yeah, of course, he's, I know. The, he's the everyman, he's the isn't everyman. he? Yeah, yeah. which um, is you're back in in the last episode where we were discussing our favorite actors and Richie Roberts picked Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. He is, he's the everyman of our generation, isn't he? He's yeah. like the Jimmy Stewart. It's an incredible film. It's an amazing cast. It's the, and they're all on form. Barry Pepper, yeah, Ed Burns, you know, all youngsters. They're um, they're all on form. Yeah, Adam Goldberg's in there. Jeremy Davis is like the conscience of the group. As you say, he's the guy who then stops and playing with the dog tags. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. Absolutely, first class. And, and much like one of his other films that may well come up in this list, it's, it's one of the most important films he's ever made. Because if nothing else, it proves to be an education to younger generations who just don't know what our grandparents went through mm-hmm. to fight for our liberty. Right, so that's my number one, but I'm quite happy. Right, so, oh, so I've had my five and four. My number four is going to be Raiders. Number four. Number four. I know, this is ridiculous. See, this is this is this where it's going to become messy, this, but this is the nature of the beast. This is ridiculous. Right, Raiders is my number three. Steve, is it on your list? It is. And when I said I was cheating earlier on, I was going to put it as number two uh, and use it as a representative of the trilogy. Yeah, not, yeah. Not the, so the is it your number two? It's my number two. So it's now your number two. It's your yeah. number four. Four. It's number four. Raiders it's my number, number three. Four, yeah. Go on then, Jim. Fire away. Raid, Raiders of the Last Ark. We, yeah, we've covered it before on, on with Neil was all over it in the yeah. podcast. But I mean, 
it absolutely nails what it's trying to do. Yeah. It's got everything right. It starts well. It's I can you know if you want to do that kind of film, you can't because it's Raiders. Raiders have nailed it. Pure adventure. Uh, it, yeah, is, yeah. it is pure adventure. It, it is one of my favourite Spielberg films. There's so much good to say about it, and I think not to waste time now. Yeah, it's just a given. Yeah, Steve yeah. and I are not gonna, Steve and I are not going to say anything more about Raiders or the yeah. Indiana Jones films for now because yeah. at some point very soon. Not on this podcast, but somewhere else. Steve and I are going to be talking about readers okay. at length. There you go. But yeah, it's, it's got to be on the list. It's got to be on the list. I and mean, if I can just give a shout out, because I was talking to um, on um, social media today, there's a, a Facebook group I belong to, the Mark Kermode Appreciation Society, and we were talking about it. And um, we, I, I was asking them because I know they, they did a poll of you know the best films of all time, yeah. and um, Raiders came to number two. Which um, one of the uh, admin on that um, site, uh, Andy Godfrey, was very disappointed because he is in love with Karen Allen. <laughs> mm. Well, as we all were at the time. Yeah. Bless yeah. Heart. I think also, Steve, we'll give a big shout out to one of our Twitter friends, Paul Bullock. Yes, who is yeah. Paul Bullock? Is he is the hero of Steven Spielberg on Twitter? He will <laughs> he will defend to the death the works of Steven Spielberg. Well, he's a, he's the biggest, most defender. knowledgeable Spielberg fan I know. Anyone who just wants to interact with someone who knows everything about Spielberg inside and out, at a Paul Bullock on Twitter. And give him a, give his, him a shout uh, up. Give him a follow. And don't forget his site from director Steven Spielberg. Yes, that is absolutely. a brilliant resource for anything That's Spielberg. From director Steven Spielberg it is a, uh, just a one-stop shop for everything on Spielberg. Good so that is my number four. My Steve number three yeah. is uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, Friend. excellent! It's my number three. It's not on my list. It's not <laughs> on my list. Burn the witch. It's not on my list. What is young? It's not on my list simply because these other films here are films that I like a little bit more. But I still absolutely, absolutely love Close Encounters. Please don't think that it's a slight on the film. I just knew the Steve would pick it. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, it's, it's just a, an amazing film. And the ending is one of the most jaw-dropping, beautiful, mm. awe-inspiring moments in wow. in history. From a musical yeah. point of view. I, from uh, musical. Yeah, scores, brilliant. John, brilliant. As, as much as it's going to be alongside John Williams' iconic pieces of music, the way the music takes over at the end of that film, oh, yeah. it's like as if Spielberg said... Right, John, I'm going to allow you with music to direct the final act of our film. Clever. It's so incredible. clever, clever. It's and, and it's the first time, and possibly the last time, I'm trying to think, where they took E.T. sort of aliens and Close Encounters seriously. It yeah. hadn't been taken seriously up to that no, point. No, that's right. You've got all these people saying, oh, these strange things have happened to me. And they usually get ridiculed in the press. And all of a sudden, you've got a major director who's telling the story of what is a lot of people are and saying. today, he's admitted he wouldn't direct it today mm, no. because it's the main character, Richard Dreyfuss, Brilliant. Roy Neary, he actually leaves his family and his Which children. is something that Spielberg would never do. And yeah. it's the only problem I've got with the film. It fits perfectly with Roy Neary's character. It seems to be like him and Terry Gar got together yeah. when they were very young, they had children, yeah. and it wasn't probably the life he chose. And he maybe had that sort of unscratched itch of he wanted something else in life and I, I get that impression from well, his character but there's also the there's also the thing where is he programmed is he being programmed by his media yeah there is that where yeah. he's, he's got that tick going on and mm. with the the making of the mountain of the mashed potato and everything but doesn't else. that so doesn't that make he's got no control over it doesn't he that give the aliens there. a little bit more of a sinister, sinister edge, edge. Yeah. Ooh, it's, Ooh, there's so many, there's so many yeah, great ways yeah, yeah. Yeah. Steve as you'll recall was it it was last year when it was re-released 
Yes. I think I actually binge watch all three you cats in about two days. I, I just had a complete close encounters overload. <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's a it's a magnificent film. Is it Truffaut? Francois Truffaut is yeah, in it as the, as the guy one of the greatest Lacan, directors of yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah and he, he actually works. he turned up on set at the first hint that Spielberg was looking to him for directorial tips he turned around and said no I am here to act uh, and be in your film this is your film uh, which I think is just great uh, but yeah so Close Encounters number three number three Definitely so number what three. are we on now Steve well, that was my so your number three, three. As well. your number three have we covered it? Uh, my number three was Raiders. Oh, so that's okay. So, so we're on to my number three was Close Encounters. So, so back to your number two. Number two was, my number two was uh, Raiders. Was Raiders? Was Raiders? Go on we'll to go you. to my number two, which is the film you mentioned. Mm, go on. I thought you were going to put it in your list. Go on. And I'm actually looking at this now, looking back over the course of my life uh, as a, as someone who loves film. I'm actually quite surprised this has got as placed so highly because for the longest time I did not like this film. When I first saw it. It had such an emotional impact on me and made me so moved, and I think I was quite young. It sort of put me off watching it for a long, long, long time. When I saw it, I think in 19... When was the... When was the E.T. Is the, is the film, anyway, to scare that out. E.T. Right, but when, when they had the re-release with the, the special edition where Spielberg oh, yes. added those effects, which he's later retracted and redacted and taken out. Yeah, good. When I actually saw the theatrical re-release back in, I think it was around about 2000 well it would have been 2002 wouldn't it for the 20th anniversary yeah, possibly right. seeing it on the big screen it just struck me to the core I, I, it snapped me out of that thing of right it, the film isn't going to move you in the same way now where you're going to be you know, crying your eyes out and blubbing it, yeah. it still does move me a hell of a lot especially the ending but that film for me much like Ready Player One struck a thing of nostalgia E.T. does it even more so and it's several key scenes one of which is the scene where the kids are running away from the FBI agents on the BMX. That thing of a group of young kids on BMXs yeah, spending their time riding around, about. Yep, hooning around part finished housing estates. That was my childhood. Yeah. That was my childhood like nothing else. Granted, I don't say I did a lot of running away from the police <laughs> in the same way, or the FBI. There's something about that time, uh, 1982, the fact that you've got the characters playing with Star Wars figures, yeah. something else which was incredibly influential upon me as a, as a child, and and just the whole the, the last the last act of that film, something which I think the Ready Player One didn't manage was yeah. to stick a good landing with the ending. E.T. is as good an ending to any film as I've ever seen. It, so it, it's a crescendo. The whole film is like a musical crescendo, and when it gets to the end, both literally and figuratively, it peaks like it could it could arguably be the peak of Spielberg's career well, it's certainly the first act of it I think it's up there isn't it mm. it's, it's where he's heading in that yeah. first first act of, of his career and I think the reason the only reason I didn't when I looked at the list was there it was and I was like I haven't watched that enough I've seen it you know probably yeah. 10 15 much like times. me with Empire of the Sun I haven't, I haven't seen, seen it enough. I haven't seen it recently I, but I can remember think when I was thinking about it this evening I was like the last time you saw that you were like haven't seen this enough. <laughs> yeah. I still haven't seen it. I, I was lucky yeah. enough about, I think it was about 1989, yeah. I saw it in the cinema. That was mm-hmm. um, I remember a gang of us catching the train all the way down to Cardiff yeah. and traipsing all the way over to the Chapter Art Centre so yeah. we could see it in the, wow. the wow. cinema. Uh, yeah, and that's memory still with me. Castle yeah. Cinema Swansea with my brother, my mum and my dad. If, if, I, if I saw it theatrically, I'm probably a little bit too young to specifically remember. I remember seeing the, the re-release in 2002 and I was just blown away. Just completely blown away. It, it's, it's one of my favourite films. It's one of my favourite 
uh, soundtracks. John Williams, uh, you know, we're, we're going to do an entire episode on John Williams one day, <laughs> yeah, and, and the, 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 the score to ET is going to feature incredibly highly on that, I've no doubt. So that's my number two is ET. Number two for me was Schindler's List. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, the, the the only reason I put this on, well, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons I put this on is because I've seen it a fair few times. Again, it's a, if you come in, we work strange hours. You come in, switch on the TV. If it's on, I'm watching it. I don't mm. care how far in it is. I don't care how far along it is. I'm yeah. watching it. it. It you almost have to. Yeah. Um, and it's the only film that will get me crying every time I watch it. <laughs> every time I watch it. Yeah. The, I know when it's coming. It's the bit when he's working out there towards the end how much he could have got for the pin on his jacket mm. and how many people he could have saved. And it absolutely floors me every mm. time I see it. But apart from that, it's a phenomenal bit of filmmaking. The responsibility on him to make that film and to do it the way he yeah. did black and white. You know, the cast, again, he's assembled, are incredible. Um, you know who really Liam Neeson what had he done prior to that that you can remember yeah it, apart from Excalibur obviously for me Schindler's List it doesn't move me in the same way because it doesn't make me it doesn't bring me to tears what it makes me is, is, is angry yeah when you're seeing Ralph Fiennes incredible performances oh. as Eamon Goeth, just a man with a complete disregard for the lives of these Jewish people in the concentration camp who he is just treating less than cattle. Mm. They, well, they have such little value to him. It just fills me with just a seething anger. That uh, and he's, he's, you know, the way, the voice he puts on for it. I mean, I don't know any, if we've got any German listeners, they could tell, tell us about it, but he's, he's a nobody. He's an absolute nobody. This guy is charged like that. Mm. He's got this funny, you know, in the real world, without yeah. the war, he'd, he'd be nobody. Yeah, they've got I, a uniform he, on him. They've given him position. I think basically, shooting they, they've employed um, a psychopath. Yeah, yeah. They've employed a psychopath to be in charge of this concentration camp because they know how effective someone like yeah. that would be in those circumstances. But, but you look at you look at the scenes and there's. You know, the, the, everyone talks about shower scenes, and oh, but there's one God, where the they're, they're literally standing in front of a, a mountain of burning bodies, yeah. And yeah. you just you, you absolutely smacks you in the face. But the moment that gets me though, and that yeah. sums up the characters completely, yeah. is when they're trying to build the um, they got they're building the you know the concentration camps, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that one girl comes over and says they're doing it wrong, yeah. I know how they should do it. Yeah. He says, Listen to her. And then he shoots her. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, and uh, yeah, the hell of it, the pressure. Yeah, you know, oh, the pressure. It's, it's, it's that. Oh. It's just that complete disregard he has got for life. For I, life. Yeah. I hate his character. That is exactly what you're yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. And I, every time I watch, I just come away thinking, I want my children to be made to see that film yeah. in, school. in school. I want all children. Absolutely. I want it to be on the national curriculum at every school. It's too important a film for people not to see. Yeah. We need to see the mistakes of. Humanity's past and learn from them. It, it's just incredible. I didn't put it on my list simply because I don't find it a particularly easy film to watch. No, but that's not, not to say. To that's watch. not to say it is without doubt one of the greatest and one of the most important films. If I had to pick the five most important films need to be preserved for all time, I think Schindler's List would be one of them. You look at someone like Sir Ben Kingsley's in it, mm. uh, and you, you've seen him play, you know, bad guys. You've seen him play Gandhi, and then it's that share the this different character again exactly, exactly. You know, yeah. amazing just amazing the, and the pressure they're all living under Schindler's there he's playing both sides of the deck yeah and it, it comes across really really well and, and you know I do think all, all credit to Ralph Fiennes for being one of the most incredible yeah. on-screen villains I've ever seen yeah. in the film yeah absolutely you know, did it did it justice the score again 
Fantastic. Janusz Kaminski cinematography. Yeah, the fact fantastic. that he uses black and white. And even though there, there's that one famous shot of the little girl with the red coat, yeah. there's still so much oh, incredible tight. black it's and tight. white photography mm-hmm. in that film. And it, yeah, amazing film. Absolutely amazing. And to think that in 1993, Spielberg cranked out Schindler's List and Jurassic Park. Yeah. Well, he was um, editing Jurassic Park yeah. while oh, he was yeah. in Poland filming. Which, which I think it. was that would have been good for him. Because yeah. to immerse himself so deeply into in such so serious nasty, subject matter right. without having an outlet, I think it was it was probably a good idea because it that's is something such he does a, so well. Because he he does this year now he's had the post and yeah. he's had uh, mm. Ready Player One yeah. and uh, you know he's done this a couple of times in the past. He's had two he films. Okay. So that's your that's number. The, like, that's number, number two. two. Yeah. Uh, so we're on number ones now, aren't we? Well, this well, is this is this is going to be no surprise that we have all landed on Steven Spielberg's groundbreaking comedy, nineteen forty one. Easily, yeah. Anyway, I, I, it, go staying with um, forty one. One of the greatest reviews I ever heard uh, about it was death, doom, and destruction, all for the sake of a few laughs. Yeah, I thought that summed it up. It's not nineteen forty one. It's Jaws. Uh, Jaws. Yeah. Well, Jaws. It, yeah. I, 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 it's not my number one, but it, it's it's well, well it's well above. It's What's your number perfect. one? I have one. Oh yeah. So we're, but, Jaws is but your. But Jaws. Yours is your number two, but is it? Jaws. Right, of okay. it's Jaws. Yeah, it's. It's the most perfect. One of the most perfect films ever made. Yeah. When we get um the, the first batch of film eighty nine t shirts printed, as we said on episode four. We're going to have a T-shirt with. If you haven't seen Casablanca, you are yeah, not. not. Yeah. It goes without saying. If you haven't seen Jaws, then you really can't call yourself a film lover. I'm not going to say what I say most times when I'm asked to talk about the best films ever made. It is the best film ever made. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, all right. It's one of the best films ever made. The making of the film is just as interesting as the film itself. And you know, I spoke about it last episode when I talked about one of my favorite actors, Roy Scheider. I'm not going to say anything more about Jaws because there's going to be an episode, obviously, <laughs> at some point, a Film 89 retrospective episode just about Jaws. All I'll, I'll just say, leave it to you guys. Yeah, I, go on. All speak. I would say is that there's not many perfect films out there no. yeah. that uh, sets out to do something and does it without any flaws, without any bumps or wrinkles, yeah. and does it everything what you, you know, and Jaws is, and that's why I'm wearing the there's t-shirt tonight. Even there's like, no spare in it, no. there's no spare scenes, there's nothing is no. wasted. Look at Steve's t-shirt, but look how iconic that is. <laughs> I, I know. It's, it, you know it's, it's my Twitter and Facebook avatar, yeah. it, it, it's just... The one thing I'd say is that I think, certainly for our generation, it became such a staple on TV, and, and it started off after the witching hour. It was it was a horror film when I was a kid. Yeah, it, we, we didn't. I was too young to see it in the cinema, and when it finally hit the TV, it was a past nine o'clock. And it's gradually, as we've got used to it, it's come down and come down, and you find it at two, three o'clock in the afternoon now. But it is. But it's not for kids. It's not for no. kids. No. But if you don't, and I think everyone's seen it, and I don't think it's appreciated as much as it should be no. by by the general populace because they've they've seen it so often. They don't appreciate yeah. how fantastic it really is. I, I'm, I'm sure, Steve, especially, I'm sure you're going to have passed the point in life where you've you've shown your children Jaws. I've considered I, showing. I my, haven't yet. You still haven't, no. right? Well, my, you know, my, my little boy is only seven. Mm. Oh, you, oh, you know, of course he is. He's, my, a, he's the same age yeah, as my yeah, eldest. Yeah. Yeah. And my daughter is um, eleven. I don't think she 
She's coming to the close to it, but yeah, I don't think she's mature is. enough yet. I was when I first saw Jaws. That would have been around about 1984. I was probably about seven years old at the time. It scared the shit out of me. Yeah. I remember going to bed, and I think at the time I was I was growing out of the bed I was in. So at the time, my feet were hanging out oh, from the edge of the bed. I had to sleep in the fetal position because I had this irrational fear that in the middle of the night when I was sleeping. I'd be dreaming about the film and a shark would bite my feet off. And it's not even just the fact that the film was so scary. I'm over that now. Mm. It's just such a perfectly, like you say, Steve, it is a perfect film. But there's, you know, there's things that have entered the lexicon, so mm. we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. That's in there. You know, Ben Gardner's right. boat. The music. The head which, of the music. You know, yeah, it's just two notes, the music. Yeah. And everybody That's knows right. it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, but, you know, yeah. The glue that holds it together, though, is because even though everybody talks about the shark, uh, it's not about the shark. No. It's about one man. Yeah faced yeah. with the ultimate horror yeah. and part of the horror is just going out into sea yeah. we'll just leave a full stop under there um, <laughs> it, it's, it's Jaws um, it's Jaws ultimately you know, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about a lot more because it, it keeps coming up yeah. it, it one keeps... story though that I uh, that's on the um, making of it on the um, Blu-ray Steven Spielberg said I, I love this he said a woman came up to him one day and said, with her son and said will you tell him it's not true and he went what because this was back in the yeah. 90s or the 2000s yeah. I don't know. and she said my husband showed him Joe's and now he won't go into the sea will you tell him it's not mm. true and he said I bent down and truth is I couldn't tell him that no. there's a lot of dangers out there yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, earlier on in the week, we, we put a tweet out just asking for some input off, off, off our listeners. One of the big friends of the podcast and of the website, and he's a massive part of the Wrong Real community, of which you know we are also part of, Jacob Rivera. Please, if, you, if you're interested in film and you just want someone that's completely passionate and knowledgeable about film to have a chat with, please follow him. That's at JRAT. M, that's J-R-A-T-M 23 on Twitter. That's Jacob Rivera. He sent me his list. His three favourite were Ascending Order, number three, Jurassic Park. Number two, Saving Private Ryan. Number one, Jaws. His honourable mentions were, and oh, one of the ones that nearly made my list was mentions. Minority Report. I love Minority Report. Oh, I Munich. love it. Munich. His second honourable mention, Munich. Good man. Close Encounters, Good man. E.T. Good man. And then another one that nearly made my list, Catch Me If You Can. <sighs> See, walking and that you had brilliant. 2002 you had Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can what yeah. is it with Spielberg knocking up two yeah, great films yeah, a year next up you've got John Lobinger that's at Film Baby Film very simple answer Munich is way up there good man yeah, yeah. it's a great film it is yeah. Gidget Von LaRue at Gidget Von LaRue she's given me quite a list here starting at the bottom Schindler's List Close Encounters Bridge of Spies Ooh, controversial Munich yeah. It gets more controversial. Yeah. The terminal. I, I like the terminal. Yeah, it's, I yeah, it's it's likable, but it's it's, it, it, not, it's, not, yeah. it's nowhere near in his in it's his top. Yeah. Number three, Empire of the Sun. Number two, a film that we should have you know mentioned a little bit more, The Color Purple. Yeah, mm-hmm. I watched it the other day. It's, 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 it's just a remarkable film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Oprah Winfrey, Danny yeah. Glover, all incredible. Yeah. Raiders is number one. No fair surprise point, there. Any, anyone that follows Gidget will know she's a huge fan of all things 80. Her, her podcast is revolved all around films of the 80s. Raiders, number one. Ray at Script Player 101. Duel, The Sugarland Express. Duel. 1941. <laughs> Someone's got to pick yeah, it. Yeah. Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Again, Steve and I, we're not going to say too much about the indie films. But yeah, we are going okay. to be talking about them in depth at some point in the very near future. Not on this podcast, though. Catch Me If You Can, Minority Report, E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark, at number two, Close Encounters, and number one, Jaws. Good man. 
And then we've got the rest of the Film 89 crew. Neil Gaskin, uh, his top five are Duel. Ah. Yeah, he would pick Again, Duel. He would pick Duel. I nearly picked it myself. Yeah. I love Duel. E.T., Close Encounters, Raiders, Jaws. Richie Roberts, number five, Saving Private Ryan. Number four, E.T. Number three, Jurassic Park. Number two, Raiders. Number one, Jaws. <laughs> and the only one that mixed it up a little bit is Hayden. E.T. at number five. A.I. at number four. See, I like AI. A lot of people have problems with AI. Right. The more I've watched it, I think my like problem it. with AI was much like my problem was initially with ET. Yeah. It it upset me. Yeah. Something to do with that that scene with the teddy bear just waiting mm. with him uh, for for basically eternity, uh, eternity at the end. Yeah. It, it was too upsetting for me. I've only seen the other ones. I desperately need to rewatch it. Number three is Jaws. Number two, Close Encounters. Number one, Jurassic Park. There you go. Honorable mentions. He didn't give any. But Were you given any? No, no, no. I don't think we have. Oh, oh, oh are we given any? Yeah. I, I think we've mentioned them all when we've discussed each other's films. Uh, yeah. uh, my own, uh, the other two Indiana Jones films, uh, Temple of Doom, which I love, and Last Crusade, which I also love. That was the first Indiana Jones film I saw in the cinema. I'd say it was Temple of Doom. Yes, no. when he was really originally. That's fine movies. because it's actually set two years before yes. Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> in 1936. I'd say War Horse is an honourable mention. Really? Hmm. I think he Spielberg's The Violence for Kids. But he does it in a fantastic way. The charge where they get machine gunned mm. is still visceral, nasty, no, but really yeah, cleverly it, done. It, it's, a, it's a good film. And um, what you're saying about Atonement and Dunkirk, mm. I think World War One, the bits he shows yeah. there haven't been done better. No, I agree. So, you know, War Horse is a great film. My main honourable mentions would have been Duel, obviously Close Encounters, which, yeah, you know, another day of the week, it could have been on my list. And then, obviously, Temple of Doom and Last Crusade. Yeah, Schind- Schindler's List. It, I now feel really bad for not putting it on. But like I say, it's it's not the Spielberg film I find easiest to watch. Mm-hmm. And then, Minority watch. Report and Catch Me If You Can, which are two of the films of his, which I've seen quite a bit. I love them. They're fantastic mm-hmm. films. I, I've got two young boys myself. There's that one scene we see when, his, when Tom Cruise's uh, character's little son gets kidnapped in the swimming pool. He's underwater, and he gets back up, and he can't find his son. It's, it's my worst nightmare. It is my absolute <laughs> yeah, yeah. worst nightmare, and it's one of the scariest things I think the Spielberg's ever committed to film. Fantastic film. Steve, any honourable mentions? You um, I will say one which we haven't mentioned at all tonight, and yeah, although it's not classic Spielberg, I think it's a really, really lovely film, and that's always. Oh, oh bless you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really beautiful um, love story. It's it, 1989. I, I mm. saw it probably about two years after it came out, and it's one that's really high on my rewatch mm. list. Okay. So we've had Ready Player One. We've had, we've had a full-on Spielberg overload this episode. So we're just going to go on now to some listener questions to round things out. Oh, healthy, right. I wanted to keep this episode a little, little bit shorter than the, uh, the, the, than the, the epic marathons we've had uh, in episodes four and five. First question, Martin Kelly on Facebook asks, Steve, I think this is directed probably a lot towards you. I love it that you post so many articles about Japanese cinema which, after dismissing in my film studies class in my youth, I've now fallen in love with since turning 30. Are you guys fans of Japanese animation? And if so, what are your favourite animated films? First off, thank you, Martin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for, you know, obviously that's a great compliment to Steve for his, his pieces on Yasujiro Oru and Akira Kurosawa films, which are, you know, I, I, I love myself and I just love reading Steve's pieces. But go on, Steve, I'll let you go first. What's your... What's your feelings about Japanese animation? Well, I'll tell you what, there's a, um, a brilliant one out um, not long ago which I would definitely recommend, and that's um, 
Uh, I, but the name is gone now. Your name? Your name. Yeah. <laughs> the name is gone. <laughs> I was saying, I was saying, his name, his name, your yeah. name. It's a beautiful film. Yeah. And of course, the Studio Ghibli films. Yeah. My favourite being Spirited Away. Mm. Yeah, Spirited Away is great. It, it, yeah. Spirited Away is, and, and again, if you're not a Ghibli fan, Hayao Miyazaki, he is without doubt one of the greatest living directors working today. Everyone goes to Spirited Away. Yes, it, I know, I know. It's it is an obvious pr- choice. It is, it is probably... Either that or Princess Mononoke, possibly. The, the best Studio Ghibli film. Yeah. My favourite is the first one I ever saw because it's the first Japanese animated film I can remember seeing, and that's Lapita Castle in the Sky. I saw it, it was on ITV one afternoon in either the late 80s or early 90s before the explosion of Japanese animation um, in America and, and Europe. Yeah. It, for some reason, there was uh, an early English dub which ITV had picked up from probably overseas, probably from America, and televised it. And then when this big explosion of Japanese animation came, I actually remember thinking, well, that film I saw when I was younger and was blown away with was actually a Japanese animated film. Others for me are obviously Akira. Akira, yes. And we've already mentioned that today because it's referenced in. Now, Ghost in the Shell. Well, I I think it depends. When I first watched it, Mm. it was after I'd seen... Like the Matrix and all that mm. kind of stuff that borrow yeah. so heavily they do, from it. The Wachowskis do like, borrow a hell of a lot like from. You can see, you always yeah. see, right? You've lifted stuff wholesale. Wholesale, that's right. So yeah, that's why I stick it in. Influential. I'll put one of my favourites as well, and this is not to be mistaken with the TV series. It's actually the 1986 theatrical film of Fist of the North Star. Oh, oh wow! Which is. Just oh, the cool. yes. most insane <laughs> film I've ever seen. I've not seen the Japanese original dub. I've only seen the Ameri- North American dub, which will always be my rep- preferred version. The dialogue is absolutely just insane. I can recall, and a good friend of mine, uh, well, one of my best friends growing up, we can both recall every line of dialogue from that <laughs> film. <laughs> when, when I first got into Japanese animation, I actually I, I watched that film more than any other. I wore the VHS out. To this day, I, I just wait for the, a, a decent Blu-ray release, which we haven't had. And please, if anyone out there is going to release it, please make sure it's the American dub from the, the late 80s, early 90s. Another one is... 1994 Street Fighter 2 the animated movie a massive Street Fighter fan and after the complete debacle of the the Jean-Claude Van Damme from the (laughs) same the same year we we had this this animated film if we ever do top three fight scenes as ridiculous as it sounds the fight in that film and the setup to the fight between Chun-Li and Vega I urge you to seek out and see (laughs) it is for an animated fight, outstanding. This stuff sneaking to mention you, like Cuba and the Three Strings. Oh, the Cuban, Cuba and the Two Strings. Yeah. I, great film. My, my my wife took um, my boys to watch it in the cinema when it came out. She said she came back and said you really need to see yeah, that film. Really and good. it was only last week that I actually sat down with my boys and watched yeah. it. It's an amazing it's film. Yeah. Amazing. It's, not, it's not a Japanese director or anything, it, but it's, it's heavily, not. No, but it's heavily influenced. influenced. Yeah. And uh, another one then is the 2004 remake of Appleseed. The computer generated uh, one, fantastic film, uh, amazing soundtrack. I, I I am a much bigger fan of Japanese animation than I actually realise sometimes because I've seen <laughs> so many of them. Uh, so any others you want to mention, guys? No, I that's think a great great question, question and a, a lovely compliment to Steve's writing. Well, I, and I will say, oh, it's not an animated film, but if you can see. Uh, cur- blind woman's curse. It's a, a brilliant. It's a martial arts um, samurai. Mm gang film like, horror like film sound of that. Fa- psychedelic I'm, horror I'm and it's all from I think it's about 1970 72 something like that Japan Epic. brilliant Blind Woman's Curse yes there you go all over it 
Okay, next question. Steve Wisher via email asks, Loved your discussion in episode five about the pros and cons of Paramount releasing Annihilation internationally via Netflix, which got me thinking. Are there any recent straight-to-VOD or video-on-demand films that you think deserve the theatrical release? Now, that's going to be, for us over in the UK, it's probably going to be the Amazon Prime and Netflix films. The one about the big hippo thing, Steve. Oh, okay. Uh, Okja. That was one of your favourite yes, films of that, last that, year, wasn't it? I put it? that as number one from last year. Really? Yes, directed by Bong Joon-ho. Nice. Higher than Star Wars, The Last it Jedi? Was, yes. Wow. Oh, no, sorry, it was number two, because uh, Silence is number one, then Okja. Silence. Then Last Jedi. Right. Um, but it's, yes, uh, Bong Joon-ho, director of The Host and of Mother yeah. and uh, Memories of a Murder. Brilliant film. I, I've seen The Host. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the one I've seen. I've actually, yeah. He's um, got a very offbeat sensibility. You can take a very serious <laughs> subject yeah. and make. Well, if you've seen the host, you understand. Yeah, it, it's yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just about a giant sea creature, and it is and it a, a sea very, creature. It's insane. It is yes, and crazy. a very dysfunctional family. Yeah, crazy film. I'm just trying to think of what film I've seen. Jim, this this question is directed to you more than anyone. The amount of junk you watch on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, um, I don't know why. I, I ordered Carbon, but that's a TV series. Yeah, I'd like to see some bits of that on the big screen because it was epic. There's got to um, be some films. You, of all people. They, I, they, they didn't get a theatrical release, though. Mm. I think any that I've seen that I thought, wow, yeah, that's. Ballroom, Starblock 99 with Vince Vaughn? No. No, no, can't think of anything. Okay. Sorry about that, uh, Steve. Um, you'll, you'll just have to make do with uh, Steve and myself. And lastly, via Twitter, Ben Sullivan, at Ben Sully, asks, I listen to a lot of podcasts and have to say, oh, that's another compliment. I haven't. <laughs> we love been, you. There's been no strategy in the choice of questions this week at all. <laughs> Yours is one of the best ones I've heard. Oh, thank you very much, Ben. How long does it take to edit a podcast and how much do you usually edit out of an average episode? Okay. The dross is unbelievable. Right. At the moment, and obviously as you're looking at your, your iPhone or whatever you're listening to the podcast on now, just to give you a little example of how long we've been recorded, at this moment in time, we've been recorded for one hour and 42 minutes. I've only had the one beer. Yeah, Steve and I are not drinking tonight. Jim's had the one beer. So this is going to be one of our short... In fact, this will be our shortest episode, I've no doubt. Because we're about to wrap it up now and we've recorded for one hour 42. I've no doubt that... I'll probably edit out about six minutes of this one down to about about 1.35 maybe. On the flip side of that, recent episode, episode five, we recorded for two hours and 44 minutes. And that was two hours, 44 minutes of pretty much continuous recording other than say one or two toilet breaks, which were very brief. I actually edited out 31 minutes. (laughs) And to answer the first part of your question, Ben. It's driving to go mad. It took me far longer than I I think if you record a two hour podcast you need to be putting aside at least five hours to edit that depending on on how the initial recording goes I'm quite confident that this one that we're recording tonight is going to take um We've been a lot more disciplined. The alcohol <laughs> has, has not been free-flowing. For example, uh, episode four, the first one you were on, Jim. Yeah, had. Yeah, I, I, it, was, it was mostly gibberish towards uh, the end, of which I couldn't edit around. I had to leave most of it in. But it was great. Close army singing. Yeah. That out. It, again, it all depends on, on how judicious you want to be in cutting out the little ums and ers and stuff like that. And, and that's the most time-consuming thing. The I big say yes this time. 
every two minutes. Uh, yeah, but you know, you know that, that was that was your first one. Your, your first. Uh, uh, what what I don't know is I don't understand how someone as prolific as James Hancock, who who, who runs the Wrong Real podcast, and his output. I think they're on three hundred. You know, he, he's not going to be far off. He, he's going to reach four hundred episodes yeah. soon. And there's some weeks where you'll turn out three decent length podcast episodes and they're all full of quality full of quality <laughs> none of the gibberish you'll hear on, on ours well you know they, they, they have the odd few where they well, just I, I remember being on one with him and he's saying okay we've got to wrap it up because I'm doing another one this afternoon yeah that was our that was our alien hardcore, with the, hardcore. The, the alien episode that Steve and I did with Wrong Real yeah James was actually recording two episodes that day and then within the space of about three or four days he, he'd edited both our episode and the other one he was recording and posted them within a, a day or two of each other the man like I said before the man he, he's superhuman um, I don't think he sleeps he, yeah he, he's a robot Machine and, man. and unfortunately, our lives are far too chaotic to to allow us to devote half as much time to this as we would like to. But yeah, the, the editing of a podcast is very time consuming. When when you listen to the end results, um, like our most recent episode, I both myself and Richie Roberts and Neil are, are, are very pleased with how that came out because. Yes, and as a listener, I really really yeah, it, 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 like I say, this is early days for the for the for the podcast, and and we hope to improve. We're going to get um, a lot more guests on and. It, a lot more wide-ranging topics but yeah you know it, it if you're thinking of starting up your own podcast it it, it can be very time consuming and the, the very first episode that we recorded which n- we never intended to put out it's only because the fact that we listened to it afterwards and we're like yeah you know actually let's put it let's put it out as like a pilot episode and we'd actually in the initial recording said welcome to episode one mm. just because we were practicing i thought do you know what to hell with it let's put it out there let's get out there and, and there we go so yeah that's a great question thank you Ben so guys we're going to wrap it up now hope uh, you've enjoyed our, our deep dive into the works of Steven Spielberg please go and see Ready Player One if, you'll if, love it as I tweeted out back in the week if you're of a certain generational fit then this film will be absolutely made for you don't go expecting Citizen Kane no don't don't go expecting a, a, an incredibly well written film you know, it, it's not a bad film far from it it's just it's a different film isn't yeah it? yeah you know, the things that make some films good, this film lacks, but then it's got other things which no other film has yeah. in abundance. And, it's and an Easter egg orgy. Oh, yeah. Easter egg orgy. Oh, Easter. Good thing. Perfect. Perfectly yeah. summed up, Steve. So, Steve, people want to follow you on social media. Where, where do they find you? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter, at Welsh Bluesman, and I'm also on um, Facebook if you want to find me there. Um, where, where will they read about your stuff, Steve? On, of course, film89.co.uk. <laughs> Can't remember. Can't um, forget yeah, that. Yeah, that's where you'll find me as well, and you'll also find me on Twitter at Sky Movies. I'm also on Facebook um, at Sky Movies. You'll find all of us on at Film Eighty Nine UK on both Facebook and Twitter, Twitter especially. But please, uh, you know, like and, and share all our Facebook stuff. Um, we, we are growing our Facebook following. It's growing a little bit slower mm-hmm. than than Twitter, but that's you know mainly down to the fact that we we started off on Twitter. And Jim, where will they find you? I'm on Twitter, but I can't work it. So uh, Jim is you can still yeah. find me on a on a park bench outside your Mantleplex, probably. Fantastic, and you're also you're also all over Facebook. Oh, I'm all over Facebook. I so, something Facebook. something of a of a minor celebrity on Facebook, yeah. aren't you, Jim? Okay, guys, we're going to wrap it up for now, and we'll see you all soon. Stay classy.